The scripture reading for our meditation tonight is taken from the Gospel of St. Matthew, the second chapter, beginning of verse 9. And when the wise men heard the king, that is Herod, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These are your words, Heavenly Father. They are your truth. We pray that you would now strengthen our faith through them. Amen. In teaching various Bible classes through the years, uh, there are certain stories in the Bible where when you run across them and and look at them, uh, oftentimes people wish we had a little bit more information about them. And there are certain ones that really seem to draw that type of attention. The story of the wise men is one of those. We're often filled with questions like, where did these guys come from? What exactly was their occupation? Uh, What were they there to do? How did they find out about this Savior that had come into the world? And what about this star? Is this something that was just, that appeared in nature? Is it something that uh, was a miraculous thing? Um, How did God actually lead them to the Christ child by the star? Even the question, how many wise men were there? People often assume, assume three because of the gifts that are brought. But it's easy to get caught up in the kind of the cloud of speculation about different things. And yet there's some very wonderful, simple truths that come through in the entire account of the wise men. And when we look at it today and see them coming to speak now to King Herod, we see that there are two very distinct responses to the birth of Christ. There are two camps, if you will, when it comes to the arrival of the Son of God in the world. You have the camp of Herod and those who reject this Christ child, even to the point here of plotting to kill this little baby. And then the wise men who come and bow down and worship him. And scripture would teach us that there is no middle ground. You're either in one of these two camps. If you think you have found a middle ground, then you're in the camp of Herod. There really is no middle ground. And Jesus says, he who is not for me is against me. And on the judgment scene, he describes the sheep and the goats. And that is the great division that scripture lays before us throughout all of its 66 books. Those who will believe in this Messiah and in this Christ and those who do not. Now the wise men travel to the place where you might expect to find Uh, the birth of a king. Find somebody born of royalty and some notoriety. They go to the capital city of Jerusalem, which contains in it the old city of King David. They go to the palace of the reigning king over the Jewish people, Herod the Great, who had been appointed by the Roman Senate about 39 BC, a puppet ruler for the Romans. And they probably had to go through some major security checks to get in to see him. We're told from other historical accounts that Herod had 2,000 bodyguards because he knew that the people, his own people, uh, did not appreciate him and his rule. And we think about the, the royal palace as these wise men come in and what it was like to see such a regal place 
and then to be seeking for the birth of this great king that has come into the world, that's where you would naturally go to expect to find someone coming in with such, such a noteworthy birth. And yet, they're off track. And uh, God, once again, needs to use the, shine, the special shining of this star uh, once they leave the palace to guide them out instead to the town of Bethlehem. And it was necessary for God to lead them here because we can tell even by this their, their natural uh, intellectual instincts of where to go to find this, the birth of this child uh, would lead them in a place where he was not to be found. And so once again, God employs and stirs the, the heavens in some wonderful way to orchestrate uh, the star that now guides them and leads them to the Christ child. And I always wonder, what was it like to have just come from the palace and all of this grandeur and probably soldiers all around and all of the greatness of that and to now leave and to get back on your camels and to go out six or seven miles outside of the city to kind of the dirt hills nearby where you have one of the lowliest occupations, that of people just taking care of herds of sheep, and to go into probably this very small little uh, a dwelling of some sort and to find there the Christ child. And uh, to see them, the, the lowly parents, probably Joseph with blisters on his hands from all the carpentry work he'd been doing, uh, to see this, this little baby possibly still wrapped in ripped up strips of cloth, and to now come and find this child. Were, were they baffled by this? Were they puzzled by the, the depth of humility of this, the lowliness and so on? And yet we, we hear from the words of Scripture, Matthew records that they, they bow down now and worship him. So there's truly a, a sense of worship and awe around this little baby. But without God's divine guidance of the star, who knows where they would have ended up? Who knows what other places they might have gone? So God's intervention here is the very thing that leads them to where he wants to be found. So what about us today? Apart from God's guidance, the Bible tells us that we wouldn't know where to go to find him. We would wander off into a lot of different directions. And throughout the history of the church, people have historically used the concept of this star as a picture of the word of God for us. God's word is the very thing that now guides and leads us and directs us to find him, himself, God with us who has come into the world. If you were to go back to Bethlehem today, you would find a place full of a lot of trinkets. I've been there. You can buy about any type of thing that has to do with the birth of Jesus. You would find a lot of commercialization. Uh, you would find a lot of little souvenir and gift shops all over the place and a lot of salesmen and vendors. You'd also possibly find some Israeli soldiers with machine guns guarding certain places. The places where we might go to expect to find God in the world might, might uh, not be exactly where God would, would have us find him. And the world is often very baffled by the places where God's word, like a star, stands over for us to go to know him and to find him. 
Even back at the time of Jesus and his arrival, one of the reasons that the Jewish people who'd been waiting for this Messiah for thousands of years and had been listening to and reading the prophecies about this, one of the reasons that they had a hard time accepting that this little baby was going to be the Messiah they'd been waiting for was that his birth was so common and so lowly and so unimpressive. And sometimes we're tempted to want to find God in really big, impressive things as well. And yet, where does God, through his word, shine us? What places, where does he have us look? In very humble, lowly things, like the water of baptism, the, uh, the preaching of his word, pastors standing and telling us of the forgiveness of our sins that our Savior has won for us by his death on the cross, the, the little activity that goes on, you can't even see it inside of your heart and conscience when you realize your sin and, and are comforted by God's mercy and grace and to know that he, clo- he has cleansed you of all your sin and gives you the righteousness of his own son. The, the very supper of our Lord that he's given us, his body and blood and the bread and wine, things that the world would laugh at and be baffled by. This is where God would lead us to know him and to find him. And yet God says to us, my ways are not your ways. My ways are not your ways. The foolishness of how God would have us find him in these lowly things is the very power that he himself has put into the world for us to come to faith and to know the Savior and to someday actually come to heaven. The wise men fell down and worshipped this little baby in this little, humble, poor family. There's a great theologian by the name of Sedelius who said this around the 400s. Upon a manger filled with hay, in poverty content he lay, with milk was fed the Lord of all, who feeds the ravens when they call. St. Peter says, There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Even though the places where God would have us find our hope of going to heaven may seem pretty unimportant and may seem pretty lowly to us, nonetheless, we bow at the feet of this Savior uh, wherever he is to be found through his word and sacrament because there and there alone is the gate to heaven. So having been blessed by faith with this wonderful revelation, may we always follow the star of God's saving word where he brings us to the Savior. And in this new year, I would encourage you to rededicate yourself to his worship and the bringing of gifts to him, the very one who has come to give you your entrance into heaven. Amen.